Namaste, bonjour, and hi, folks. Folks, welcome, welcome, welcome to my show, Not Your Normal Curry. My name is Anandu, and I am your curry head. Let's make this clear. Before we start to talk about what makes immigrants uh, like myself different in the Canadian context, you have to know about my views and opinions about what shapes community and also what shapes minds inside a community. In my entire life, I have noticed that three things, three factors binds a community together. Tradition, language and culture. Now, I'm not here to show deep analysis of anything. I'm not a big guy for that. I'm just a normal brown boy. But what I'm here for is to show you how these things, these factors shape my perspective of this world and at the end why I had to leave my society for that. Now let's talk about the first thing, tradition. For that, you have to hear one of my stories. Story time. There is a dish that we make back at home during special occasions. Hear me out. When I was a kid, I used to watch my mom make this really tasty food back at home. One day, I asked my mom to teach me how to cook it. She taught me how to cook it. And at that point of time, I noticed that there was some issue with the recipe. That recipe had a small flaw. It only mentioned half a cup of rice. And we are at least seven people in our family. Also, I was a teenager back then, so I am always hungry during those years. I was like, I need food, man. I need food big time. You all know that you've been teenagers and... I told her that I'm no Jesus to satisfy all these 500 people with half a cup of rice and myself. Because that takes a lot. And she replied, just follow the recipe. Never question me. My mom was a savage by the way. She told me that that's how her mom made it. I got really curious and I went to my grandma and I asked her the same question. She told me that that's how her mother did it. So I understood that obviously it's a family recipe, it's a traditional recipe that we follow. So I went to my great grandma and at this point I'm starving and I asked her the same damn question. She paused for a moment and she looked up to the sky. Then she turned to me, which was a bit creepy, but it was a moment. She smiled and she said, well, that is just how my dear mother made it. I don't know about my great great grandma. I've never met her. So I got really curious and hungrier by the minute. Give me food. Those are the words that was echoing in my head. I wanted to solve this mystery faster than ever. So I went to my attic and I went through some old boxes. In one of those boxes, I found my great great grandma's journals. I read the journal. In one of those pages, it said Sunday 14th April 1940. And she wrote, I had to cut the amount of rice for my kids today because of the famine. We are starving and the kids need more rice. I read this and I was shocked. At that moment, I realized something that is so awful that happened created this necessity and this necessity became a tradition in the future. 
Presently, even if we could afford to have more rice, we followed the same tradition that our family followed for generations. And that was because of something bad that happened during that day. Coming from a traditional middle-class family, my whole life was like this. It was full of traditions. It was full of traditions and these traditions shaped their thoughts. One of those traditions that I had to follow in the society that I lived was to learn the language Hindi. I am a South Indian and I am a Malayali and I'm really proud of it. Now, you all know that India has at least a thousand languages. Hindi has always tried to dominate South Indian languages. But regardless of all these things, all these languages have one thing in common. That one thing that unites everything. Misogynistic slurs. Now, I'm a firm believer of the idea that the language is so powerful that it can shape our minds. It can shape minds inside a society. In India, the usage of these misogynistic slurs, it does really big damage. It dehumanizes women, it reaffirms patriarchy, and it encourages rape culture. We are so blind that we forget that our country has a rape culture. Another example is the usage of the words, for example, darkness or blackness, which represents something sinister or evil. This pushes the envelope for colorism. I could tell you an example. When I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of Bollywood movies. Bollywood movies are the movies in Hindi, if you don't know about it. In one of them, or maybe most of them, there used to be there used to be this person who plays the lead role as a lead actor who is always this fair-skinned macho dude with this creepy mustache. Yeah, that is real. And he always has this dark-skinned sidekick. In those movies that I watched, the sidekick always used to get berated and insulted by the lead actor. The lead actor would call this person Kala which translates to dark-skinned person in a really, really bad way. Also, they would call this person Malu or Madrasi, which is a really derogatory term to call a South Indian. It is a really vulgar way to say it. As a kid, I used to look up to all these lead actors as my hero. As I used to watch all these movies day in and day out, the dialogues that they said, it became part of my life. It became part of my vocabulary. Whatever they said, it registered in my head. Now, one day, I was in my Hindi language class. And, and I called my friend who was sitting right beside me the word Kala or black skinned. My teacher heard this and she asked me to come to her office. In the office, she asked me why I called him that name or why I used that word. And I told her I did that because he is black. And I saw that in a movie. I saw shock in her eyes. She took a deep breath and she asked me, Kid, who do you see yourself as in these movies that you watch? To which I replied, 
with pride, the hero. And what she told me changed my entire perspective. She said to me, we are not the hero kid. We are that sidekick to whom the hero calls names like dark-skinned or madrasi. We are the ones who the hero insults right in front of the audience to get a bit of an applause. That is when I realized that I was as dark as him. I was as dark as my friend. I didn't realize it till then. I was brown. I am brown. And that is part of my identity. You know, language is so sinister. It is so insidious that it internalizes colorism in us. We use words like the dark castle or the dark lord to depict something sinister. Don't judge me, I watched Harry Potter. Now imagine trying to describe something sinister or something evil by the name white lord or white castle. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense because it is embedded in our brains. Because of these languages that we use, we internalize the racism, we internalize the colorism. Darkness and blackness always, always point to something negative in any language that we use. Because of my complexion, I have been subjected to discrimination by people who have said the darkness things. They have said things like, Oh, you are dark, so you are not attractive. They even have said, you should use fairness creams. It should make your skin look lighter. And I have used fairness creams. I am ashamed of that at this point. And yet, going through all these discrimination, going through all these colorism, it didn't keep me from being a part of the problem. In my opinion, the system of racism and colorism, it is further cemented by something that we all know, our culture. Culture is something that should define us. Where I come from, we pride ourselves with having a diverse nation with a diverse culture. There's this saying, that means unity in diversity. Yet, we are the country which looks up to a white person and we always say, I want to be like him. Yet, we are the country who tells our girls, you should use fairness products to make your skin look lighter. You look unattractive. I was born to a super religious and super traditional Hindu family. We used to go to temples every week. There used to be a temple right next to my house, which has Lord Krishna, who is a mortal incarnation of God, according to Hindu mythology, as the deity. As a kid, I used to ask my dad if God exists. Yes, I was a nerd. And he would answer, yes. It was a firm yes. One day during the visit to the Krishna temple, I asked my dad, what Krishna looks like. He pointed me to a portrait of Krishna and in that portrait Krishna was portrayed as this young blue person. For me I was a kid back then so I thought he was a smurf. I was surprised. Honestly. 
because I thought Krishna was born as a human based on the stories my grandpa told me. I just looked at all these pictures like around us and I turned to my dad and I said, well, he looks blue. No humans are blue. And based on the story, Krishna, who is a mortal incarnation of God, is a human being. This dude is a smurf. He was quite shocked and he was laughing at the same time as well. Because he never expected this to come from the mouth of a kid. I saw curiosity in his eyes. He went and picked up a holy scripture. And he started to read it. That holy scripture mentioned the story of Krishna in which it said how he looked like. He started reading it and at one point I saw his eyes widen. He closed the book, he turned to me and he said, Krishna is indeed a human being. He is a mortal, he is an incarnation of God. What I saw in that book is that Krishna is black. Krishna has dark black complexion. We both looked around and none of those pictures around us showed his dark black complexion. All we could see was a bunch of pictures in which he was depicted as this blue colored smurf. Krishna, according to the holy scriptures, was the king of Yadavas, who are considered to be the lower caste in the Indian society. And that is for another day, folks. Casteism, big thing. So imagine coming from a culture which is so ashamed to admit that their god is a dark-skinned man. No wonder why cultural discrimination, casteism, and colorism exist in India. Anyway, all that to say, as I mentioned coming from a really traditional and conservative family, and a society per se, I just couldn't see myself being a part of a society which values me based on my complexion. At that point, I did what all Americans want to do. I moved to Canada, the great white north. The moment I landed here, I felt that it was my rebirth. I felt that I am going to start everything from scratch. The first person that bumped to me didn't swear at me, but said sorry. Now, after three or four years of living in Canada, at this point, I even say sorry to a wall if I bang my little toe into it. Habits, right? Anyway, back to the story. The first year was awesome. I met a lot of people. I fell in love with a girl, got welcome to her family, and we adopted a cat. And the cat's name is Pi, and he's a little piece of shit. Over these months, I felt a false sense of belonging in the Quebec society. Now that changed gradually due to the stares that we would get, the comments that my girlfriend could understand, but I couldn't because of my limited knowledge in French. Then like putting oil to the flame, COVID happened. One day, I was coming back from work because I felt sick and I was worried and stressed because I thought I had the Rona. I was all masked up and all. I took the metro to get home. At one point, when we reached downtown, 
three young white men came in and one of them had a blue shirt and it said J'aime Quebec or I love Quebec. Now they started talking to each other loudly and as I had a headache I moved to another seat. These guys, these proud Quebecers, they saw me. They saw me move and they moved right next to my seat. Coincidence? I don't think so. Two of them sat behind me and one of them sat across me. The two gentlemen behind me started pulling on my coat. And the one right in front of me was staring at me the whole damn time. To be honest, I felt really uncomfortable. So I moved again and so did they. And then they started calling me names in French. Like brown shit, curry, Arab. While also screaming J'aime Quebec or I love Quebec and go back. Actually had to get out at the next stop because I felt harassed. And I was feeling sick. I had a major breakdown that night. Because that bubble, the one in which I kept myself thinking I was a part of this society burst. It felt as if there was no bubble anymore. And all I could think about was about that dude's ugly ass shirt. Man oh man. Seriously? Who wears stuff like that? Damn son. Now, to be serious for a moment. It made me think about what we face. What the colored folks face every day because of the color of our skin. All these factors that I've mentioned earlier come to play on that incident. The tradition the language, the culture, because for them, I was the anomaly right there in front of them. They couldn't take it. They couldn't take it for the fact that I could be a part of the society. So my advice for people who say I don't see color, I say, you are hypocrites. See color. You only say that because you are a white person. Because what we the people of color experience and see every single day, it is awful. And you have to understand that. And you gotta use your privilege. You gotta use your resources to create equity among the people inside a society. You should make them feel part of the Canadian society. Let them dream, damn it. Let them dream. So this podcast would provide a platform for immigrant people of color to share their stories and express their opinions. Our opinions matter. So let's start talking. Let's share. Let's dream together. Well, thank you for listening, folks. We will be posting episodes every two weeks on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. You can be part of this cause and create change. For that, please follow us on Facebook under the name Not Your Normal Curry, or you can slide into our DMs on Instagram like every creepy dude ever. From me, I would say be the change. Don't wait for the change. Be the change. Namaste, abiento, merci, and see you soon, folks. Bye.